watchers in the fourth dimension. But it really is the dawning of the age of Aquarius. God, God all, Galdina! This is just the beginning! Hello and welcome back to Watchers in the Fourth Dimension. I'm Anthony. I'm Don. I'm Julie. And I'm Riley. And I only need two things, your submission and your obedience to my will. This episode, we're back with horns as we tackle the science versus magic debate as we discuss the occult-tinged classic that is The Demons. But first, Riley will take a quick look at the mail. In general feedback on Instagram, Dave Columbus says, What makes your podcast more enjoyable than other podcasts and blogs I see is you can point out certain problems, yet none of you turn into raging, hateful fanboys or fangirls spewing vitrolic hate. And I can see you do your research on each story as I've recognized views, both pro and con, I've read in other sources. Thanks, Dave. We do this podcast because we enjoy it. I don't think any of us would get any enjoyment or want to put in the work if there was such negative energy. If we see something in the show we don't really care for, we usually just kind of playfully make fun of it. That's more of our style. On Terror of the Autons, Nathan Laws in Facebook says, The pert we hate is strong amongst this group. <laughs> I personally like a doctor that doesn't suffer fools gladly. It's a definite change from Troughton's softer touch, but I like it, especially since his natural charisma and charm make him fairly lovable when he isn't angry. I think that it's not a pert we hate. It's more of a... Pertwee, we are on the way of liking you just, you know, soften up a little bit. Maybe I'm just speaking for myself here. It wouldn't be so much that he doesn't suffer fools gladly as it. he just assumes everyone else is a fool. Well, it's getting better. We'll talk about it. That's true. We don't hate Pertwee. We just like making fun of him. Dave Columbus on Instagram regarding the Terror of the Auton says that the new companion was damned if she was, damned if she wasn't a scientist. There's no pleasing the doctor sometimes. I guess I can understand that, but I think he's always been a bit more um, warm with Liz, but that just might be me. Bill Lamont on email says, I've never heard or read of Delgado's British Army career in service during World War II. He was promoted to major. That's quite a lot. I'm still sad about that car accident in Turkey. I know enough history to know Roger and Pertwee were friends and that John was so broken up by Roger's death that he asked to exit the show. That is something I was not aware of. Yeah, and Pertwee actually inherited Delgado's favorite pair of cufflinks. Oh. Regarding our Mind of Evil episode, J.M. Casey on Facebook says, Funny, I'm not too keen on some of the music this season. It might be the worst season for music in general. And this coming from someone who really likes early 70s synth music. But I do like some of it in this one. That theme for the Mind Parasite is memorably menacing. Yeah, I can buy that. Beardo Beatnik on Instagram says that another story that I loved as a youth, you help show all the holes in the plot. Don't worry, <laughs> Axos will be better. We do it because we love. And was Axos better? Yes, it was. Castor Barossa on Instagram says that as a gay person, I feel entitled to info dump about Mike being gay. There's actually rumors that he is. Apparently during the shooting of the demons, after the final line of the serial, fancy a dance brigadier. No, I'm not much of a dance. I'd much rather have a pint, which was suggested by Richard Franklin, but I'm sure Anthony already knew that. Nicholas Courtney said something along the lines of, quote, well, the Briggs an alcoholic and Mike Yates is gay. <laughs> also in the Virgin New Adventure Happy Endings, it's subtly implied that Mike is living in a college with his partner Tom and making honey, which is cute. I feel like a lot of fans think he's gay. I mean, he very much does have those classic twinkish vibes. <laughs> <laughs> Probably helps that Richard Franklin is quite widely known to be gay. I'm sure he's bringing some of his own personality into the character, and that's why Yates often comes across as kind of coded as gay. To finish up, the Whovian gal on Instagram says, Julie's taste in classic Who men is impeccable. <laughs> Benton over Yates is clearly the right answer. Yes, I feel validated. <laughs> Can we also give the Whovian gal a shout out for her incredible John Wiles memes? Those were outstanding. <laughs> oh, I nearly sent those so to good. you, Don, and then I saw you'd already seen them. Yes. That's the mail. Please send us your comments, questions, and opinions on Julie's Taste in Men to either our <laughs> Facebook page, Instagram, Twitter, or write us directly at watchers4d at gmail.com. Thank you, Dr. Shrek. Moving on to the demons with a quick look behind the scenes before we discuss the story. Producer Barry Letts had held an interest in tales of black magic after reading Dennis Wheatley's novel The Devil Rides Out. He drew on this when he wrote the audition piece for the roles of Joe Grant and Mike Yates. 
While he'd had several story proposals that he had put forward for Doctor Who rejected back in the mid-60s, Letts decided that it was time to try his hand at writing a Doctor Who serial himself, which he could now do because he was running the whole show. Can't reject yourself. While Letts yearned to find a way to incorporate the occult into a Doctor Who script, he initially felt that it wouldn't be a good fit for the show. However, script editor Terence Dix encouraged him to build on the audition piece that he had written and persuaded Letts that it would be a good opportunity to explain magic using science. With this in mind, Letts started working on a script that could serve as a backup for the final story in season 8 should significant issues arrive with other scripts. As he started work, Letts came to believe that he would benefit from working with a co-writer, and initially approached his friend Owen Holder, who had written for Tales of Mystery, Mystery and Imagination, and Out of the Unknown. However, Holder turned out to be unavailable. Letts' wife, Muriel, recommended one of her friend's husbands, a gentleman by the name of Robert Sloman. Sloman's prior work had exclusively been for the stage, but he agreed to work with Letts on this project. Together, the two writers took inspiration from a book entitled Chariots of the Gods, Unsolved Mysteries of the Past by Eric von Daniken, which was the original tome that proposed that aliens had visited Earth in ancient times. They also drew inspiration from a recent BBC-sponsored dig at Silbury Hill near Avebury in Wiltshire. This particular mound had very strong folklore associations. Those two inspirations together prompted the idea that a devil-like alien had guided humanity's development. The storyline for the demons, originally spelt D-E-M-O-N-S, was commissioned from Sloman exclusively in December 1970, and the scripts were also commissioned just three weeks later. It was agreed that the serial would be credited to the pseudonym of Guy Leopold, and this was done to avoid upsetting the Writers Guild by having a producer writing for his own show, as well as to avoid any suggestions that Sloman's stage writing partnership with Lawrence Doby had been dissolved. As with every other story of season 8, The Demons was to feature the Master. However, by this time, Letts felt that having a peer in every single story was a mistake. Huh, you think? <laughs> and so he made the decision to have him arrested by unit at the end of the story to provide the option of limiting future appearances. Letts and Sloman also felt they had to be careful with the religious elements of the story for fear of upsetting their audience. This resulted in the relocation of the Master's rituals from the church or its crypt to a cavern underneath the church to avoid any occult activity from occurring on consecrated ground. A reference to the devil as the Horned God was changed to the Horned Beast, and the Master's incantations were changed from a backwards recital of the Lord's Prayer to a backwards recital of Mary Had a Little Lamb. By early 1971, it appeared that the demons would indeed be needed to close out the season. Letts had originally wanted to direct the serial himself, but in the end wasn't able to. So he secured the services of Christopher Barry, who returns to the show for the sixth time, having most recently directed season 4's The Power of the Daleks. It was Christopher Barry who suggested a slight revision to the title of the serial, replacing the E in The Demons with an ash. For any listeners not familiar with that, that's the archaic Latin symbol with the A and the E smushed together. He did this because he felt that this added extra atmosphere to the story, whatever that means. Joining Christopher Barry on the creative team, we have Roger Ford as designer making his only contribution to the show. He would actually go on to design some fairly big Hollywood children's films in the 90s and 2000s, and even up to now, including Babe, Peter Pan, The Lion, the Witch and the Wardrobe, Prince Caspian, and the two Peter Rabbit films. Joining the production as costumer, we have the return of Barbara Lane, who we last saw working on The Claws of Axos. Finally, as composer, we have the continued input of Dudley Simpson. Recording for the serials saw plenty of location filming, with the village of Oldbourne in the county of Wiltshire posing as Devil's End, and many of the residents of Oldbourne actually posed as extras for filming. The village still has a close association with Doctor Who to this day, and one-day conventions are periodically being held in the village. And now I feel like I've droned on for long enough, so we'll move on to our short summary, which is once more in the hands of Julie. Please allow me to introduce myself. I'm a vicar with a want of power. I've been around for a long, long time with a want to rule the earth. And I was around at Old Devil's End when that professor went to dig. Create a coven who I got to chant while I summoned an ancient race. Pleased to meet you. Hope you guessed my name. Bet what's puzzling you is the nature of my game. 
Might have gotten a little over my head when the great Azal appeared. Can't rely on my mind control now and need to strengthen my power. Stuck around while the doctor came with his tiresome, annoying friends. Had the townsfolk tried to kidnap him so that I could complete my plan. Pleased to meet you. Hope you guess my name. But what's puzzling you is the nature of my game. Despite all the hard work I did, the doctor fooled my plans. Joe had to go and sacrifice herself, and with that, Zell disappeared. Then tried to escape amid the chaos, but Benton and Bessie thwarted me again. I'm sure I'll escape unit clutches soon so I can finally impress my man. Pleased to meet you. Hope you guess my name. <laughs> but what's puzzling you is the nature of my game. <laughs> that was pretty impressive. It was amazing how easily it fit this song. <laughs> Not gonna lie. I didn't even have to change the chorus. The chorus could stay the same and it worked. Good job. Yeah. All right. Let's discuss this one. Episode one. I love the way this opens. It was a dark and stormy night. <laughs> yeah. I loved it, except for the fact that they killed the dog. Yeah, that yeah. was pretty sad. There was a book called No More Dead Dogs, and I was a big fan because it was about all these kids who were tired of dogs dying in books. Yeah. <laughs> the fact that they kill off the dog shows that something nefarious is going on here. If it wasn't that nefarious, it would have only been the owner who died, but they kill off the dog as well. Something bad's going down. That's how you know they're serious. Yeah. But I did love the opening. It's the atmosphere that was set was amazing. We very quickly meet Miss Hawthorne. I love her. Me too. I love her, adore her, and I want her to be in more. Yes, I think <laughs> we all do. I, I was very sad to learn that her actress died just this year in June. Yes. I think she was over 100, though. So, you know, she lived a long life. She came onto the screen, oh, that I had seen her in something before, and I couldn't put my finger on it, but I'm guessing it is one of the Pink Panther movies. She has such a really distinct manner and voice about her that is just quite comedic in a, in a good way. You know, not that you're making fun of her, but she just seems to bring everything to a comedic sense. Her quirkiness reminded me of the friend that was in the Princess Diaries. Just the mannerisms of how quirky and weird. That's it. I was wrong. She was 91 when she passed and she does reprise the role in an unofficial spin-off that came out in 2017. So we might have to give that a watch <laughs> at some point for a bonus episode. 100%. Absolutely. All right. So we have that. I love that. See all them. And then we have a really good character moment between Joe and the doctor. Yeah, their initial debate about magic versus science, and she's talking about the dawning of Aquarius, the occult, the supernatural, and the Doctor's just there rolling his eyes. I think it was just before that, or right after, where we meet our TV show host <laughs> and the professor, who I honestly thought the professor was going to last a little bit longer in this serial, but nope, he was done. I'm disappointed by that. I really like Professor Horner as a character. I've never seen a character so cranky in my entire life. He's so cranky that he even has a problem with someone using the word super. Yes. Like, yeah. <laughs> how? He was based off of a real, I'm not sure whether it was a scientist, an archaeologist or a historian, but some kind of PhD level person who had presented on the BBC and had had that very kind of gruff and grumpy attitude. <laughs> That would actually have been pretty good to, to keep him around a bit, just as the cranky <laughs> comic relief. Yeah, I think some of the locals were supposed to be that. Get into, I don't know, I keep jumping around. But the other thing that I loved in here to set more atmosphere was that scene at the local bar. Mm, pub, yeah. I guess you should say. That was wonderful. Bert, I called him Bert the barkeep, even though I find out later he's like the landlord. I like Bert the barkeep better. Uh, I loved him. <laughs> When he was first introduced, and I was like, I, I love everything that's happening. And I just like that they decided to set up so much atmosphere before getting into the like nitty gritty parts of the story. I think Bert was a different character, wasn't he? No, I think Bert was the landlord. Because I remember one of the characters saying, shut up, Bert. He was the one that was in the ridiculous outfit during the much later Morris dancing scene. So there was a Bert. I don't know. You mentioned the setup of the mood setting. I loved it. I just wish we had more night scenes. 
like it seems like we get it all in the front and then towards the end not so much and i understand that's difficult for a show like who to do because that's expensive to shoot at night i think but sorry just to go back to that i think but is both the landlord and the guy in the silly newspaper costume at the end i think it's the same character But what I love here is we've had the occasional country yokel in every single third Doctor story, more or less, so far. Here we get an entire village of them. (laughs) Planet of the yokels. (laughs) Yokels of death. Something like that could have been the original title. Ooh, the yokels of death. That's our uh, (laughs) Pertwee-era fan script. Yes. And we then move to some more Miss Hawthorne. He's talking with that constable. And then that crazy wind happens and everything's going nuts. And then the constable gets, I'll call it mind control for lack of a better word, because we all know who's behind all these things. And he's going to smack her with a rock. Yeah, he's about to go first doctor on her. Yes. Yeah. (laughs) How dare you? She's amazing. Leave her alone. But I, I like that as soon as like that whole thing ends, he kind of gets back to himself and he's like, what? What why, am I, why am I holding this rock? What's happening? Yeah, that was really good. I love how she calms it all down, or at least appears to calm it all down with her incantations as well. Well, it's a needed scene because of, we mentioned the natural comedic actress. If you didn't see it happening, you wouldn't necessarily believe that she was competent or knew what she was talking about in regards to witchcraft. But this scene not only explains, you know, shows the audience the danger involved here, sets the, the levels of the stakes, but also shows that she's competent. She knows what she's talking about. It's right. Yeah. There's a lot going on with that because as the Doctor and Joe start heading to Devil's End, things happen like the wind blows the signpost round the wrong way so that they go in the wrong direction. It's never quite established that that's necessarily the act of the Master or whether it's Azal or whether it's one of the Master's cronies doing it. I kind of like that that's unexplained. Yeah, it's, it's spookier when you leave things to be interpreted later. Exactly. And let's not forget, as we already are talking about the Doctor and Joe on the road, let's discuss what I think is just, and I know the show has done it before, the plot device of showing events on TV that our characters then see and then react to. I thought that was really, really nice because if it's done too much, it might be seen as cheap. But in a world where we are all watching television, that is something that's very relatable for us to see something on TV and then say, oh, that's happening over there. I should go over there. That just seems very practical to our world instead of something fantastical, getting our characters to want to go to the place where the action is. I love that. But then it also introduces more behind the scenes of how is unit doing? So we get... The brigadier coming in in that snazzy outfit. Yes. <laughs> oh, he looks great in mess dress. Oh, so good. And then Benton and Yates make fun of him because that's what anyone is going to do of lower rank. And it's just wonderful. I love it. Very happy. And they stop watching the dig to watch, I think it was rugby. Yes. It was rugby. <laughs> And it's a shame because I would li- I would like for them to have watched it and see their reactions when something like freaky happened instead of catching it after it already happened. I'd like to have seen their terrified reaction. I would also prefer if we just kept with the TV crew, just the the comedy between the television presenter and Professor Horner and the other production assistants on the dig. I don't know why I find it really, really funny. Let's talk about the master showing up. Of course, he's the new vicar, because obviously that's what's going to be happening. Doesn't he look great in the vicar's dog collar? He does. You gotta wonder how long he's been there. (laughs) (laughs) Yet again. How long has he been doing this? I mean, he's able to convince them to basically be a coven. And he's like, all right, we're going to have to do all these crazy chants. And ugh. That was one thing I was wondering about this, actually, Julie, was was the coven already there or did he kind of start recruiting people one by one for his rituals? I don't want to like stereotype here, but it seemed odd that it was all men. It could have been there, but I just didn't feel the vibe from that community that they would have something like that. Now, if they had some other organization and then they just kind of moved from that secret organization over to the coven that would be more believable to me i actually got the feeling it had been there for one thing the name of the town is devil's end and there's a satan hall just down the road <laughs> i was about to bring that up miss hawthorne actually casually mentions it so it's been there long enough for people to know about it it seemed like there had been at some point but i got the impression it had fallen dormant and then been reactivated at some point recently i don't know 
confess, Anthony, how many rural English villages have a cultus? Was it like 50%? Oh, 75%? Like all of them. Yeah, I was going to say all of them. <laughs> you know, the further you get away from London, the more satanic cults you find. <laughs> Somebody dug that quote-unquote cavern and set it up, and I don't think the master did that. That had been there a while. Oh, that, yeah, that's, yes, yeah, yes, that's ancient. That, yeah. It looked like that had been turned into a museum. There were like wax figures of cultists from like the 1800s yeah, and stuff Yeah, I'm there. just thinking that the actual people who were doing that, I don't know that they were sitting around chanting before the master got there. That's what I'm saying. I thought you raised an interesting point about all of the coven being men. All of those indulging in black magic are men being led by the master, and the one practitioner of white magic is a woman. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> I thought that was saying a lot. It is saying a lot. I think so. Especially because you kind of get a sense that women don't have a lot of say in that town, and that Miss Hawthorne is very much the oddball out. <laughs> Everyone's like, oh, it's that crazy lady again. But I love yeah. her. Let's focus on the doctor being mean to people. <laughs> oh god we're gonna be here a while <laughs> including or not including joe including joe that's where i yeah. want to start he is awful to joe when they get lost mm -hmm. awful to joe the entire serial there are yeah. a few moments where he's sweet with her but there is one scene and it's not for a few episodes so we'll talk about it then i think we're on the same page it bothers me it's it's not that it's just he's such an ass at all times but there are moments where he's all right and he's fun and I want to watch him. And then they start writing him being a total dick again. Yeah. And it, it does not work for me. It would be okay if he was focusing at people that deserve it. And the frustrating thing is I watch all of these scenes with the master and it's wonderful and glorious. And I'm like, oh, this episode is so good. And then the doctor comes in and he's a dick. I'm like, oh, you're messing up my mood. <laughs> and let's face it, though. I mean, Delgado in oh. this role He's perfect. He looks like a 1970s Satanist. And that outfit. Normally. Oh my God, that outfit. <laughs> I know. That outfit is straight out of the Hermetic Order of the Golden Dawn. Oh. Straight oh, out yeah? of it. Yeah, not literally. Yeah, but I understand. Very, Based very heavily of... inspired. I mean, I'm going to point some of this out as we get through the story. There's a lot of stuff that draws from the OTO, from Freemasonry, and from various other occult traditions throughout the story. I think of that group as I think they were probably more like Freemasons and then the master just like weaseled his way in and then was like, <laughs> OK, we're going to go over here and do this crazy nonsense. That's what I think. All I know is this. This came out in 1971. You know what happened in 1970? That's right. The first two Black Sabbath albums. <laughs> Draw your own conclusions. Yeah. English folk horror is just starting up. I think Witchfinder General came out a few years before this. So we get Bessie getting down by the tree. The Doctor and Joe have to go by foot. Joe, of course, trips over as they're heading towards the mound. And then the Doctor gets there just as Horner pulls the stone. All hell breaks loose. We've got the Master cackling, the gargoyle with its eyes glowing and head moving. And we cut back to Joe finding the Doctor unconscious. It's a beautiful way to end that episode. I really enjoyed all of that. I thought that was one of the better endings of an episode. I won't even call it really a cliffhanger per se, but love it. Episode two. Episode two. And this is where we get... This is where we get Yates and Benton being absolute lads <laughs> and watching the rugby. And yes. poor Benton loses the bet. <sighs> it's so sad. You guys were all excited about that. I was excited that in episode two, we get to see them in civilian clothing. <laughs> Except Yates has that weird vinyl red jacket thing going on. <laughs> it's not great. But then he takes it off and I'm like, okay, the rest of it's snazzy. Just lose the jacket. Yeah. So the master, with all of his rituals, just so you know he's evil, this is where he misquotes Alistair Crowley. Crowley famously said, do what thy wilt shall be the whole of the law. And here the master says, to do my will shall be the whole of the law. That was hilarious. He's quoting Crowley. Evil. <laughs> I also notice he uses the phrase so mote it be a lot, and that is a phrase used both in Freemasonry and in the Wicca tradition. And the vase he had on the altar was covered in alchemical symbols. So a hell of a lot of symbolism here, a lot of reference to occult traditions. I just think it's so cool. If only he put as much effort into his alias as he did into those things. Reverend Magister seems a bit close. It's almost like the Rick and Morty joke of the vampire who hangs out at a high school under the cover of Coach Ferratu. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. Uh. I think 
and you guys can debate. I think we have to add something to the I'll explain later count, but this time it's the master doing it to us all. It's almost <laughs> word for word. We'll meet later and I'll explain then. To me, that counts. All right. We're counting it. That's only our uh, second one in the whole of the show so far. When he's coming through and you see the hoof marks and I said, oh, something with cloven hooves, that's massive. And then immediately after I thought that was the sign that said the cloven hoof. And I was like, ha, <laughs> perfect. For the pub. Yeah. Uh, also, great name for a pub. I love it. Fantastic name for the pub. This is when we first see Yates and Benton. They get on the helicopter and we get Brigadier in bed. <laughs> and he's pissed. Well, I get the impression he's also probably slightly hungover because he's been out the night before. Uh, there's fancy dinner and then he goes on somewhere else. I assume he's carried on drinking. Uh. Yeah, he's pissed because they've stolen his helicopter and his head is killing him. I also think this is his one night off in however long. Yeah. And he calls, he tries to get the doctor, he tries to get Joe. He finds out that Benton and Yates have taken his helicopter. He's like, all I wanted was one night off. <laughs> Yeah. So good, though. There's all of that going on. And we get actually, no, I can't talk about this because all I have written is go, Benton, go, Benton, go. And I'm like, I don't even remember what was happening. <laughs> Probably when um, Benton and Garvin got into a fight. Yes. And then I was very sad because he lost that fight. Yeah. He wins other fights later. We also get the doctor having a few blissful, quiet moments while being frozen. <laughs> hey, the makeup was good. The makeup was good on him. Didn't take the entire episode off, but he was quiet for a while. Most of it off. Yep. The slab Benton steps on, and I promise I won't do this too much more, the very colourful cross on that slab is very reminiscent of the symbolism of both Rosicrucianism and the Golden Dawn. Again, drawing on all those different occult traditions. Very cool, and I love it. We start to get the dome thing that gets placed over the town the heat dome yes and that poor guy if he hadn't have gotten out of his van oh, <laughs> that wouldn't have ended well that would have been really rough that kind of leads to my own well i've got a couple <laughs> but one thing that did annoy me about this serial is the sound effect for the heat barrier which i thought was just a terrible wind noise and then finally i'm like wait that's supposed to be the sound of the heat barrier Yes. It bothered me because it should have been more of a, like a lower pitched hum and it was just really annoying. Or have it not at all. It's not necessarily a scary sound or, or it's an annoying sound. It's not off-putting. It's scary enough when you're able to show the special effects of anything that you just stick out there. I know what they were trying to do. It was a reminder that even though they don't have the money for a special effect to show it, it's there, but it's too close to a wind noise. My biggest problem it is that it kept the brigadier out of the main storyline and that made me sad i really wanted the brigadier to join in on the party that's true but the brigadier got some awesome lines throughout the that's that's true yes. and we will get to my favorites in episode five <laughs> that was one of my biggest things was like yeah he got some good lines but i really wish he had been able to get in because oh around in there that would have been so good yeah all right Let's talk more about the delightful Miss Hawthorne, because I love how happy she is when she realizes the Doctor knows who she is. There's that. It's wonderful. And she feels validated. And then her crush on Benton is wonderful. <laughs> See, I wish she was still around because we could have Big Finish do like the Miss Hawthorne mysteries. Be awesome. <laughs> hey, that would be great for Russell T. Davies' Doctor Who expanded universe. Yes. If she were still around. On, on BBC Plus. <laughs> I would have loved a Benton and Miss Hawthorne spinoff. <laughs> yes. Yes. And kind of a buddy cop style vibe yes. to it. <sighs> yes. As much as I usually don't like the like, will they, won't they? I definitely want the first season to be a will they, won't they? Because <laughs> I, I need to have Benton like, oh, she's making me feel really awkward. But I want it less to be like him, like opposing it. Just more like, I don't know what to do with this. <laughs> just benton being useless with women yes. i love that idea all i know is that on the spinoff i want more action scenes where benton tries to disarm a person with a shotgun by doing a back heel <laughs> yes pretty sure you get shot in that situation don't think that works okay there were a lot of people in this serial that should have been shot <laughs> accurate first of all why does no one accept the doctor know their latin 
Oh, God. Oh. God. As soon as Miss Hawthorne mentions that the leader of the coven is the Reverend Magister, he knows straight away and is like, well, duh, that's the Latin for master. Of course he does. It's been in every episode this serial. He's just waiting for him to show up. Now, see, Don, this is where I thought this is what you're going to bring up. This is one that, like, really hit me the wrong way. Maybe it was the delivery of the line. But when the doctor says, Joe, did you feel Latin as well as science? I was like, shut up. Stop being a dick. I mean, my God. Like, we don't even know. Like we said, we don't even know. We don't even know if she took Latin. So why be an ass in that situation? It's just that really rubbed me the wrong way. I just... Ooh. No, the one I was talking about will come up later. We can assume that Yates, because he's an officer, was privately educated, and with the education system in England at the time, he would have learned Latin. I would assume Joe was probably privately educated as well. Benton probably wasn't, so he has an excuse. But Joe and Yates probably should have known, candidly. Also, can I say how much I love the look of annoyance on the brigadier's face when Yates tells him over the radio that the master is responsible for everything? Oh, <laughs> Just that... like, ugh, this asshole. He has some of the best faces. Faces, best lines. And I think there's only one, well, I guess you're kind of walkie-talkie. He's not on the phone as much in this serial. Oh, and can we talk about the gargoyle real quick? That takes us into our cliffhanger as well, Julie. So yes, we certainly can. I love the little gargoyle. <sighs> He's adorable. He's adorable and crazy, and I love it. And he can barely walk. He has to waddle. He's so ridiculous. I love him. He's just there blepping away the whole time. <laughs> it's delightfully <laughs> shit. I'll just say that. <laughs> yes. Again, I'm not saying it was good. I said that I loved it. There is That's a difference. Fair. That is completely fair. So I'm taking it, Don. This is not a cosplay for you in the future. No, no. Not without a dance belt. <laughs> <laughs> so our, our boy Box sneaks up on them at the end of episode two. Yeah, as they're in the little burial mound and finding the teeny tiny spaceship inside. All right, episode three. Episode three had a really, really long recap. It did. I thought that too. And then I really love how it's resolved, though. The Doctor using iron and fake incantations to repel Bok and pointing out afterwards to Joe, yeah, I don't believe in magic, but Bok does. I thought that was fantastic. They really try to have it both ways. Where they're, oh, magic isn't real, but magic is science. But science is real, unlike magic. <laughs> it's fake, <laughs> but it's also science. Which is real. Which is real. Yeah, it was a weird circular, like, it's, just stop. Just, yeah. Just stop just... trying to do this. Yeah, it's the whole, you know, magic is a science, you just don't understand, blah, blah, blah. Yes, Thor, we get it. <laughs> but... It's fine. I really didn't need all of that explanation. I just want to get back to the story because it's fun. That is true. I think it was necessary because it is a science fiction show. And this has all the look of a classic horror tale. So they had to give the undercut of, yes, this is looks like classic, spooky, kind of gothic horror. But really underneath it all, it's a science fiction story. So here's the science. Did they have to, though? Did they have to? Don't blame me. I would prefer to a horror story. You know me. But, you know, <laughs> it's 1971, and this is the first time that Doctor Who has gone in this direction. The closest I can think of going as much in the horror direction would be Claws of Axos, and that was science fiction horror. I think this is them having their cake and eating it, too. They want to do the classic horror, which I am totally on board with. But just to make sure they don't offend anyone, they're like, no, no, really, it's it's science. It isn't Satan. It's just an alien. It's cool. It's fine. Right. Let's talk about one thing I'll say about Yates. Yates did get to the bottom of it. And he's like, I don't care what it is, but we need to be able to do something about it. And I'm like, yes, please. Thank you. I do want to take a very quick moment to talk about this in the context of the time. So 1971, we've come out the end of the hippie movement. And a lot of the people who were involved in the hippie movement turned to neo-paganism and Wicca coming out of that. So there was this huge resurgence in folklore and in the occult in the early 70s. And this kind of taps into that. And you kind of couple that with a growing mistrust of science because, huh, where have we heard that before? Because science brought things like the nuclear bomb, which is predominantly fueling the Cold War at the time. So I think a lot of the tension between the two is what's kind of fueling that magic science dichotomy in this story. So we get conversation with the brigadier outside the dome, blah, blah, blah. We figured it out. RAF goes and drops some things and we're like, yep. It's a dome. 
So then we get some more conversation. And hey, this is where we get with horns. With horns. I love that moment. I know why. I just love it. And I love how Yates interrupts the doctor with, I don't get it. And the doctor just responds with, probably because I haven't finished yet. (laughs) The one thing I was trying to understand is that one of the explanations that was made was they were trying to help get rid of the Neanderthals. And I was like, why were we trying to get rid of the Neanderthals? Competing species. Dominance. But they were really poor neighbors. Made a lot of noise all night. Music too loud, smoke too much pot. Yeah. Just a bunch of a-holes. They had to go. It just like, I don't know, if it was a science experiment, I feel like they wouldn't come in and try to get rid of them. If they were truly treating Earth as a scientific experiment, they would have let Neanderthals just go at it and see who wins. Well, I mean, it's up to what they want from their experiment. Maybe their experiment wasn't to see how two rival species at their infancy would get out. It's more like, what if we gave this one all that and nothing How quickly would they overcome them? Who knows what goes on in the mind of a demon, really? I guess I'm kind of tired of it because in all comic books, there's always, hey, Earth is just this one big scientific experiment and all that nonsense. Exactly. When we all know it's simply a reality TV show. This is all very much from the Eric Von Daniken playbook. It's not scientific, but it's one of my favorite sources for sci-fi stories. (laughs) You get stuff like this. You get Battlestar Galactica. All that kind of stuff just comes from that idea. And that's fun to me. There's even a little bit of Lovecraft in there. One of my small criticisms of the story is they try to explain it too much. Also, going back to the doctor's presentation, he shouldn't say crap to Yates about interrupting him. Because we've seen how he sits and acts quietly (laughs) in presentations. Yes, yes, we do. Can we talk about how the doctor openly criticizes the brigadier? But when Joe does it, he like demolishes her? That is the thing that that's really thing. pissed me okay. off. It was yeah. my thing too. Because yeah. that's not just dickish. That is completely hypocritical of the way he acts and just very uncalled for. 100%. But one of my favorite scenes happens right around there where the master goes and basically attentions to raise the rabble with his, hey, work for me. And he has them <laughs> and then he completely <laughs> loses them. <laughs> and it was great. <laughs> What gave it away? Yeah. <laughs> My, the, the, the line that I gave at the opening yes. of our episode? Yes. I'm only asking you guys for two things. Come on. Just those two <laughs> little things. There's that. And then he like points out the worst of everyone in town. He's like, you're sleeping with someone. You're doing this. You're... And I'm like, damn, I would hate to be any of those people. He did not read how to in- get friends to influence people, I guess. <laughs> It's like one thing you do when you're trying to like collect people to your side, you don't call out their deep, dark secrets in front of everybody in a group. All I know is the day after this serial ends, there's going to be some really awkward looks at the pub. (laughs) Not going to be comfortable. Just a few. Just a few. When that doesn't get them in line, he brings in Bok to kill the village squire, Win Stanley. Yeah. After manipulation doesn't work, it's time for fear. I liked Win Stanley. He had that that British yeah. elder statesman kind of coolness to him, and I liked him a lot. But then, because we've had a lot of talking, we have to get an action sequence with a stolen helicopter. We first start off with Yates getting in a fight. Yes. <laughs> does and not it, go yeah. well. It does and not go well. And he loses. Benson wouldn't have lost that. No, not that one. No. Then we get a car, motorbike, helicopter chase. The motorbike only for a very small period of time until he's like, no, go away. And poor Brigadier just watches helplessly as his helicopter (laughs) smacks into the heat wall and there goes millions of dollars of damage. The helicopter he's clearly enamored with after he was so furious that they'd taken it earlier. Because it was his helicopter. Yeah, his personal helicopter. (laughs) It literally says on it G unit, which I Mm. found personally really funny. (laughs) This is the Brigadier's extremely bad, very no good day. And then we get... Poor Joe. Oh, being thrown from Bessie. Yeah. yeah, and the doctor acts, you know, he's like, oh, I'm so sorry. Okay, yeah, it's take her away. <laughs> Put her back in the car she just fell out of and get her out of my sight. Pretty much. I'm surprised he didn't criticize her for falling out of the car. <laughs> I told you to hold on, damn it. Yeah, you could have landed much better than that. Why didn't you roll? <laughs> And it's also like, other than Yates, everyone was just super casual. Like, no one else was like, oh my God, Joe. <laughs> Yates was the only one who seemed to care. It's like she falls out of Bessie all the time. <laughs> <laughs> 
I, clearly, the Doctor's just more focused on trying to help the Brigadier get through the barrier. And this is where we get one of my favourite members of the unit team, which is Osgood. <laughs> oh, Osgood. <laughs> Can you believe this moron is the same rank as Benton? Oh, he looks like no. Adrian Edmondson. He does. It makes me so happy. Yeah. We also get a tiny moment of the Doctor being nice to the Brig, where he calls him, my dear chap. Yep. I like that. I like it when he can be nice. Yes. And then we go back to the master. We're getting close to our cliffhanger. Oh, hey, look, master, yet again, did you mess with things that were beyond your control? (laughs) Yeah. I love that scene, though, where he just looks terrified and he does such a good job of it. And I love it. I think we've crossed over because some of what we've been talking about is in four. He falls out well, and all that. So episode three ends with the master summoning Azal. Yeah. Because that okay. is the, I want to say the second of three cliffhangers of him summoning Azal. Yeah. Yeah. I think it ends with him starting to look scared. This does dovetail nicely into episode four where he fends off Azal with a candelabra, I think, because that's going to work. That'll work. <sighs> Obviously, he's scared because it was very clear that some of his incantations he stole from the lion sleeps tonight <laughs> it sounded like. <laughs> but really, first and foremost, we get Joe waking up and all of a sudden she's awake and she's like, oh, I have something to do. I have to do. I have to get to the cavern. And she like is like trying to get out and she get finds the ladder. And I'm like, what was so like how? Did she go from, like, trying to get to the barrier to talk to the brig to all of a sudden, hey, I need to be down in the cavern? Also, another important question. Why is there a ladder right by her bedroom window? Because it's convenient. (laughs) That's true. Convenient ladder is convenient. (laughs) Fair. This is the second weakest part of the entire serial to me. First bit of this episode you know how they discuss on good seasons of Game of Thrones where you would have an episode where you can see that the pieces are being set in certain places? This felt like the bad version of that, where people are moving to places for no good reason or they're waiting for people. I'm just sitting there thinking, what are we waiting for? Why do we need to wait? What's happening? Why are we taking so long with this? And I feel like a little bit has to do with the fact that felt like there was a protracted scene with the doctor explaining how to create his little machine to remove the heat barrier. That could have been cut down a bit, I think. Could have been four episodes. Easily. That one scene, though, Riley, with the doctor explaining it, does give us the first instance of a much-beloved phrase. He said the thing. Reverse the polarity! (laughs) (laughs) Which is delightful. Can we talk about Azal for a moment? Yes, uh, we certainly can. Yes. He's a bit of an overactor, and yes. I, I think he's constipated based on the way that he <laughs> delivers his lines, because he sounds not only like he just woke up, but there's some pressure down there, and he can barely get the lines out. While we're on it, I saw clearly, I feel bad for the teeth that he had to wear, the fake teeth uh-huh. he had to wear. This happens a lot. I noticed very clearly in episode five, as he was delivering his lines, just this long dangling piece of drool came out of his mouth. <laughs> because the poor guy could barely keep his mouth closed while trying to give those lines with those fake teeth in there. I liked him though. Yes, he was a bit of an overactor. I think it was fine that if anything's going to be overacted, as all is the thing that's going to be overacted. It's literally the devil. Yeah, this is what's happening. I love his line of, I am not your slave and you are not immortal, which I just love him saying that to the master. You know, we have to name drop Atlantis because, you know. Yes, and that's something that pisses off Doc 2 fans because obviously we've seen the destruction of Atlantis in the underwater menace. <laughs> Do we want to give Azal points on the camp count? Is he campy? Uh, I don't think he's campy. He can be over the top and not campy. Is the master campy? In this. In his yeah. outfit? Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> is he a one point or is he a multiple points of campy? I think it's only one yeah. because he pulls it off so well. Okay. And the other thing too is when the master is basically like, and look, Earth isn't doing so well. And I'm like, yeah, Earth is kind of a failure. Not going <laughs> to lie. I'm living in it right now. And I can see how we can say that it is failing. Yeah. We're a bit of a shit show these days. All right, as Azal shrinks back down, we get the energy transference and the yellow-red filter with the shaky cam. What I want to know is, why does Joe get attacked by Ivy while that's happening? This is meant to be a heat transference. The hell? You mean where she just kind of falls into the shrubbery? Yeah, but it's like <laughs> wriggling against her. Like, it's. I think it's meant to be, she's meant to get attacked by it. I don't know. I thought she just kind of fell in. I'm like, okay. Oh, 
maybe. But then we get one of the Briggs best lines. Scott Ooh, says, one? I sometimes wish I worked in a bank. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yes. he's so delightfully No comment. Man. No comment. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, I can also agree with that. Back with Yates and co at the pub. Firstly, I love how worried Yates is about Joe. I've already established I'm fairly convinced that Yates is not straight, but I think he's developed this kind of fraternal type relationship with joe and he's really concerned yes i also love miss hawthorne installing herself behind the bar casually pouring herself whiskey for herself and for benton this is the moment i have my notes this is the spin-off we need yes she's so just unflappable it's like well the doctor will either come back or he won't either way let's just see and then she's like oh hey look it's mayday Time to party. Yeah. And I'm like, yes. <laughs> yes, Miss Hawthorne. Before we get to that amazing scene, we have the doctor being shot at on his motorcycle. And then the stuntman who for all the world looks like Christopher Walken in Batman Returns <laughs> leaps off the bike. Fantastic. The thing I love about the May Day party is that you've got villagers that are kind of like a part of that coven thing, and they're all in. They're like, yeah, here we go. We're in costume. We're partying. And then you have the other villagers who are like, oh, hell no, and slam their shutters. Yes. And are like, nope, I'm Children not. are taken inside. Yeah. Wouldn't you do the same thing if you saw a wild mm. pack of vicious Morris dancers walking <laughs> yes. down the street? I know I would. Well, also, think about it. The master's had his meeting with the men of the town. I noticed there were no women in that or very few and they've probably gone home told their wives hey when this happens shit's about to go down lock the kids inside they don't need to see this you don't need to be part of this yeah so i love all of that we see what happens with the doctor which i'm kind of tired of the doctor so yeah tie him up for a bit take him down a notch (laughs) that's fine ultimate gunpoint yep another benton fight yep He does get a little beat up, but we get some really amazing Benton moments here in a minute. Yeah. Benton gets attacked by a vicious Morris dancer. (laughs) (laughs) Aren't they all? And Miss Hawthorne saves the day with her crystal ball. Which she carries with her at all times. Dear listener, if you haven't actually watched this, it sounds ridiculous, (laughs) but it actually works really well on screen. (laughs) It really does. Yes. I love everything that happens. But what I find interesting is that this turns into not just a, hey, we're going to listen to what the master says, but it turns into an actual modern day witch hunt. And they decide that they need to burn him. I love how they get out of this whole situation. And yes, Benton (laughs) is key. Thank you very much. Yeah, so let's talk about Miss Hawthorne coming in to save the day. She refers to the Doctor as the great wizard Quiqui Quad. And if you know your Latin, Riley. That was the one thing that I was kind of hoping for, that the Doctor would have like shot her a look when she used that. I thought that he should have given her a look of like, really? Really? That's she going to, That's the fake name you're going to give me? Who, who, who? Yes. As opposed to Dr. Von Weir, which is so much better. but yeah julie i know you're itching to talk about the tricks they play to convey the magic i find it wonderful what i find interesting is that first miss hawthorne must have mentioned it to benton before she ran off because he's holed up in i guess still in the pub probably yeah he's on the second floor of the pub and so she's over there talking with the doctor and she must just think like, okay, doctor, you got to understand what's going on here and trust that he kind of gets it when she's like, okay, well then how about you make something happen? And it's like, maybe you'll make that light shatter. And glad Benton was able to hear from that far away, yeah, but all right. Yeah. <laughs> the only thing I have a problem with, but hey, Benton is an excellent marksman. Yes, so it really is. good. Oh, I loved it. One would hope so of an army sergeant, but given the accuracy of some of the unit troops that we've seen in other stories, you know, it's not guaranteed. (laughs) It's a great scene. It's really wonderful. I just think that the charade actually should have ended when Bitten shoots that dude in the hand. At that point, like, well, that's just not magic. I have a hole in my hand now. (laughs) I'd like to think he shot what he was holding. Like somehow he shot the gun, like in the old Westerns. Otherwise, yes, that becomes a very different scene where his hand explodes in blood. (laughs) I think he shot the gun itself. (laughs) Yeah. And then, of course, the doctor brings Bessie over. So we have a return of that little element that we saw in episode one. So I'm glad that 
came back up. And even Benton is surprised by that. You see him kind of dropping his pistol <laughs> a little bit in shock. It's brilliantly played by John Levine. And it will come again as the doctor's magic hit and run. <laughs> Benton's flying kick off of Bessie. Yes. Oh, oh. I'm amazed the doctor didn't <laughs> yell at him for it, but it was magnificent. Gotta get that air. Wonderful, wonderful and things. Back in the cavern, the master's about to complete an animal sacrifice with a chicken. Yeah. And one of those things that kind of strikes me about animal sacrifices nowadays is that wouldn't ancient gods, the knowledge of modern times, kind of be unimpressed with just a chicken? It's like, <laughs> this happens in the back of a KFC every day. Why would this impress me? Have you ever been to the back of a KFC? <laughs> you wouldn't believe the dark shit that goes down back there. <laughs> They're summoning lesser demons every day. It's all Kentucky flying Cthulhu's back there. It's madness. <laughs> we get another cliffhanger with the master summoning us all. Because Joe had to go and say, don't sacrifice the chicken. <sighs> This is one moment where I am like, Joe, you're an idiot. <laughs> Just stay put, keep your mouth shut, it will be fine. All right, episode five. I do want to talk briefly on the CSO for Azal. We got it at the beginning <laughs> of episode four with his legs from behind, and here we get it again with him growing. I thought it was better than some of the CSO we have seen this season. I liked it better than some, and I, for some reason, was more okay with the growing one than I was with just the legs. But that's just me. I think it works because unlike other CSO, it's trying to depict something fantastical. While in other uses, as Don has pointed out before, it's just a dude at a different setting. Doesn't mm -hmm. look right. Like, why can't we just shoot there? You can't just shoot a 20-foot demon or however tall he's supposed to be. Yeah. One element I love is when the doctor's talking to the townsfolk, he says, of course I'm frightened, and so should you be and your friend, Mr. Magister. At which point we get a cut to the master who's just laughing his head off maniacally again. <laughs> One thing I'm getting really tired of, really tired of Job, just being the damsel in distress. Yep. I'm over it. But I will say I'm quite impressed that that church had a sacrificial robe so they could easily change her into. Yeah. Convenient. <laughs> Is that a C of E thing, Anthony? Yeah, we regularly sacrifice young ladies on the altar. I just figured you might have those robes around. One thing that was nice is there was at least one guy who didn't want to kill Joe. Yeah, he seemed like a nice chap. He was in that <laughs> cult for the same reason I would be in a cult, which is I would look fantastic in one of those hooded robes. That's really about <laughs> it. That's in the periodic fish fry fundraiser. Oh, <laughs> now you're talking. Thanks. You know, Catholics do that as well. So like not just cults. I'm sorry. The Catholics, <laughs> they have to stand up and sit down too much during mass. My knees just can't take it. Same deal with Church of England, Don. Oh, ah. <laughs> now things are starting to develop. Our friend Osgood has finally completed the heat dome breaker-upper thingy that the doctor has advised him. But it's having problems. But luckily, someone created a switch that specifically says booster on the top <laughs> so that they can bust through. I do want to point out before we talk further about that, the doctor is relying on this machine at this point to beat Azal. So he needs this thing in one piece and he needs it in the village. Well, maybe he should have written down some better directions yeah. rather than just yelling at the guy for not understanding. He wrote it down on like the windshield of the motorbike and then drove off. That's right. <laughs> That's right. This would have gone fine today because Osgood would just take his phone out, take a picture and be sorted. <laughs> Not so much in 1971. I wrote it down for you and then you drove away with it. <laughs> yes, it does make that little tunnel thing. I love that. And we finally get the Brigadier able to join in on the party. That makes me happy. Yes. I do love how poor Azal gets a headache as unit passed through the barrier. Poor guy. Yeah. I feel you, Azal. My job does that to me too. <laughs> and then Bach starts like stumbling like he's had too much to drink. <laughs> he's adorable. I love that little guy. And with that, the machine blows up. There goes the doctor's original plan. And he just decides he's going to run into the church. And there's that fantastic bucktooth villager who's like, you said yourself, it would be suicide. Oh, my God. He has the best <laughs> line reading. Because oh, oh, he says it like he's in middle school making fun of the doctor for like peeing himself or something. It's just this weird accusatory you said. <laughs> he sounds almost like he would be not out of place in Garth Marenghi's Dark Place. Yes. 
from the delivery. <laughs> and I want him in every episode from now on because he was just that good. But you're right, Anthony. He he basically Leroy Jenkins it down into the cavern with no other plan. He just goes in there. He kind of like you know runs past a, a drunk Bach and then like hops down there. And you're right. He has no, no plan, plan other than like I'm just going to talk to us all. I'm going to use the power of persuasion. Yeah, because his one plan has been blown up. I want to talk about Lethbridge Stewart and his reaction to Bok because these are my two favourite lines of the <laughs> entire story. When he first sees Bok, he goes, what the blazes is that? Some sort of ornament? <laughs> I thought it was fantastic. Aww. And then Jenkins, chap with the wings there. Five rounds <laughs> rapid. He's just so unfazed by it all. It's amazing. It is the most ridiculous firefight because while it's a little bit harder to tell, it's a gargoyle. It's made out of stone. Not going to work. But we get one of the other most glorious things, and that is Benton with a bazooka. Yes. <laughs> I love how that escalates, because they start out shooting with like a pistol, and they get the rifles out, and then finally Benton with this shit-eating grin on his face and that bazooka. <laughs> oh, that's so awesome. And even that didn't destroy Buck. I don't care, but it was amazing to see. I loved all of that. I actually like the effect of Buck forming back together. Yeah, it's good. I really like that. Mm-hmm. You know, the Brigadier's line about that guy with that chap with the wings, it kind of makes sense because if you look at the costume, it to him, it looks like a dude in a unitard just yeah. prancing around a graveyard. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty much it. So one thing I notice about the master in this, because we go back into the cavern place and the master and the doctor are talking with us all. And I love the master in most of this, but this is the one part where I'm like, master, you sound like a little whiny bitch. <laughs> I want your power. Give me your. He sucks. Give it to me. But he looks like the, a look that a dog gives begging for food at the table when he's looking up, like, give me the power. Give it to me. <laughs> Who else is there strong enough? And then <laughs> the doctor's just like, it sounds like uh, like that bounder, Hitler. <laughs> that bounder? <laughs> what? <laughs> <A> bounder. <laughs> Why are we bringing Hitler into this? There's no need for this. It's the second time the master's been compared to a dictator in this story. When he was talking to Win Stanley the first time, he's starting to talk about how democracy has led the earth astray and all this stuff. It just feels a bit labored. Anyway, we get them trying to go back and forth, back and forth. And Azala's like, well, maybe the doctor, maybe... And then he finally is like choosing the master. I want to give it to the doctor. No, I don't want it. Well, fine. I got to give it to someone. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Master, fine. You can have it, but only because he doesn't want it. Not yeah. because you asked for it. Then Joe goes and sacrifices herself. So this is weak. This is my big complaint. Yes. Azal does not understand Joe's self-sacrifice and so blows up. Uh, yeah. I can almost see what they were going for in that in our previous episode we had miss hawthorne along with benton sharpshooting but mainly her idea was what saved the doctor here it's joe that saves the day she doesn't mean to which kind of undercuts it yes. and as all i can't do my usual here here's a bs explanation that will paper <laughs> over the cracks in this it's kind of weak very weak he's all powerful except he is defeated unless he just faked it there's my explanation. He wasn't really defeated. He was just so sick of their crap and listening to the master <laughs> one. Yeah, like, yeah. Oh, no, I'm defeated. Gotta go. Absolutely. 100%. See, I couldn't give my power away. This happened. Oh, oh no. no. <laughs> they also really wanted the excuse to blow up the church. That's really what it was. Which, by the way, was the only part of this story that received complaints. All of the Satanism, all of that shit, not a peep. They blew up a model of a church. They got complaints. Because it was an alien. They explained that it was an alien. So everyone was like, oh, okay. But you blow up a church? Did help that it was, or I guess it didn't help, I should say, that it was a really good model. And several people were convinced they blew up an actual church. <laughs> <laughs> wow. It was a really good model, though. I'm not going to lie. Yeah. It no, was. it is a good model. But man, those people are really stupid. They have no budget to blow up a church. <laughs> <laughs> They wasted it all blowing up the helicopter earlier. <laughs> Couple of things I really love as we're coming to the end. Firstly, when Bok deactivates and Lethbridge Stewart is just kind of left tapping him on the head <laughs> with his baton. Awesome. And then Benton holding the master at gunpoint. Yes. Absolute oh. mad lad. Uh, 
Although, my boy Benton. I do think he probably would have actually shot the master when the master threw his <laughs> yes. weird cape thing over his head. Oh, the old, yep. the old cape. Yeah, like, oh, come on. <laughs> but it's okay, because in the end, Bessie helps. Yes. Yes. Joe sacrifices herself to the doctor. They get out, explodes. Doctor explains it all with Joe right next to him. No, thank you. Nope. Yeah. No, no statement of like, hey, you're this person. I'm the doctor. I've lived long enough. You should not do that for me. Nothing yeah. like that. It was just kind of like, good job. Thanks a lot, sport. Keep it up. I mean, <laughs> what? Not even the full congratulations. You saved the world. Or yes, nothing. It's so dismissive. And I was like, he just ignored it like it was anything important. Because the doctor is a dick. Yes. God, that irritated me so much. Anyway, sorry. The rest of the the rest of the resolution is delightful. So let's continue talking about that. <laughs> so we got the master throwing the robe at Benton, the master getting into Bessie and like, oh, man, this is great. And first off, Bessie isn't that fast. No. So <laughs> you're not going to get away that easily Two, we get to see that whole thing again with the remote control, which is wonderful. And then. After they're like, okay, we've arrested you. And he gets into the unit van and they start taking him away. And Benton follows him at gunpoint until he's out of sight. Mm -hmm. And I love that. (laughs) I love how all of the villagers boo him as he's being driven away. (laughs) Phil, that was awesome. And we get the wonderful ending. Yes. Yes. Of Miss Hawthorne asking Benton to go dance the fertility dance. And the doctor dancing with Joe, and as our friend Kostarbarusa pointed out, Yates asking the brig to dance with him at the fertility dance. <sighs> la la. So the question is, which episode was it where Miss Hawthorne decided that she wanted to dance the fertility dance with Benton? That's my question. I think I'm- episode two. Episode two. Yeah, that's what I'm guessing. Yeah. I'm going to just go ahead and make an executive decision. I'm feeling pretty trigger happy on the camp count. The dancing around the maypole at the end <laughs> gets an extra point. With that, we're at the end of the story. Let's rate this. For once, I actually get to start. This is a story I really enjoy. I think we've gone through it with quite a fine tooth comb and gripe at a lot of things, but there is so much here to enjoy. And as you've probably figured out by now, I have a keen interest in the occult and secret societies and that kind of thing. So I love that aspect. I think Delgado's at his best. Benton's at his best. Yates is pretty good. The Brigadier, even though he's outside and frustrated, Nicholas Courtney is at the top of his game. We've got the wonderful Miss Hawthorne. The supporting characters here are so, so good. And, you know, it's the Doctor facing the devil. What more can you want? For me, I think I have to give this one 9 out of 10 with horns. (laughs) Don, you're up next. This is probably my favourite so far. Yes, I found it more enjoyable than Inferno. <laughs> Especially the introduction where it's dark. We get all these, you know, occult overtones, all the spooky stuff. It's right up my alley, especially considering we are recording this in the middle of October. It's the spooky season. This was the perfect story to go along with it. It has its issues. I don't like the way the doctor is written in a lot of ways to where he's just abusive to Joe. He insults people. But he does have moments. So my problem isn't really with Pertwee. It's with how he's being written in this. That said, oh my God, this is so fun. I'm going to give it nine yokel cultists out of ten. (laughs) Okay, Julie. We all know I absolutely adore this story. I think this is more in my wheelhouse than some of the more hard sci-fi. It's not quite to the horror that is typically out there. It reminds me more of like flight period pieces things of that nature. I love these kind of stories. I just think they're so much fun. And, you know, I got to see Benton be a badass. Miss Hawthorne was one of the best female supporting characters that I've seen in a long time. And I just really, 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 really enjoyed it. I am giving it 9.5 Bentons with bazookas out of 10. (laughs) Yes. Wow. (laughs) And then last but certainly not least, Riley. Well, obviously, I love the subject matter. The show had gone into horror with Claws of Access, but th- that was sci-fi horror. This is classic horror. The show has once again used a television broadcast as an opening uh, in a way to connect our characters to the events of the plot, which I really liked. Relatable. I love the setting. 
the premise, the lore about the demons, the implement implementation of the master into the script, the costumes. Well, I'm not so crazy about, and this is a criticism that Don brought up as well, the Doctor and Joe's relationship. It feels like we have taken several steps back from where it was back in the mind of evil. I'm also becoming a broken record because this is what I also said in the Clause of Axos, but get it trending. Hashtag give Joe more to do. Tired of it now, okay? <sighs> the most active thing she does is the resolution to the story, which Anthony and I have agreed to, was the, and I think everyone else has agreed to, is the weakest part of the story. If the script could have involved her more, other than getting knocked out of Bessie or the attempted human sacrifice, this could have been my first 10, but can't do it. Instead, I will give it nine gargoyles and unitards with gray sweatpants out of 10. <laughs> Awesome. That gives us a story average of 9.13, which is the highest of the Pertwee era so far and our highest since the Mind Robber. Oof. This one did well. We're at the end of our discussion. We will be back next time as we look back on the entirety of Season 8 in our customary end of season retrospective. Can you believe we're already two seasons down with the third Doctor? Three more to go, guys. But for now, as always, thank you so much for listening and have a good one. You have been listening to Watchers in the Fourth Dimension with Don Smith, Riley Shrek, Julie Philippek, and myself, Anthony Williams. This episode, The Yokels of Death, was recorded on Wednesday the 13th of October 2021. If this is your first time listening in, all of our previous episodes are available wherever you like to get your podcasts. You can interact with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at, at Watchers4D, and you can also email us at Watchers4D at gmail.com. If you're enjoying the show, please do subscribe and consider leaving us a review or rating on your favorite podcasting app. All of those things really do help the show. And always remember, everything is better with horns. <laughs>